0: My guest today, Vanessa Valilee, embodies everything we celebrate on this podcast. I am thrilled to introduce her to you. Here's just a little teaser about Vanessa and what we're going to cover during this episode. This is just the tip of the iceberg. So Vanessa Valilee is the CEO and founder of WeAreTheCity.com, which has 140,000 female members. Vanessa's corporate experience stems from a 25-year career in banking, holding roles such as head of governance, business management, and COO across nine financial institutions. Vanessa has won 22 awards for her work in finance, gender equality, entrepreneurship, and charity, including OBE, which stands for Order of the British Empire Award, for her services to women and the economy in 2018. Vanessa is an accomplished founder, entrepreneur, and global speaker. She's also the host of the She Talks Tech podcast, as well as a series of tech-related webinars to upskill and encourage women into the tech industry. She's also the author of Heels of Steel, Surviving and Thriving in the Corporate World. And her next book is due to be released in 2023. So definitely watch this space. Okay. In this episode, we discuss so many incredible things. First, we discuss one of my favorite topics, which is creating opportunities for yourself even when they appear limited. And Vanessa's story really illustrates the art of punching above your weight and being brave enough to raise your hand.
1: You know, like they say, like women look at job specs and if it's only 60%, they they kind of rule themselves out. I was the opposite to that. I'd look at job spec and go, I can do 20% of that. I'm going to go for it anyway.
0: Vanessa tells us about how she dreamt about working in the financial industry and how she made that happen for herself, despite not having the typical academic background. Yep, she faced her fair amount of no's along the way, but that did not hold her back. She shares with us how she learned to be resilient early on in her career after being fired from her first banking job. Vanessa also talks about being brave and the many bets she had to place on herself throughout the early years of her career and how these paid off. She also highlights what it was like working in a male-dominated environment and how she's never wanted her gender to be a barrier to her dreams. We then talk about why and how Vanessa created We Are The City and what they're trying to achieve now.
1: It was started because I was just frustrated at the lack of women around my leadership table. I wanted to create something that just gave women the resources they need to drive their own careers forward.
0: Definitely stay tuned to the end to hear some top tips on becoming a startup entrepreneur yourself. I just love this conversation and I think you will too. Let's dive in. So Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us on the Bet On Yourself podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Me too. I've very much been looking forward to this. In fact, I've been priming myself, watching your Insta live just before we dialed in, and um, looking at everything. So um, I'm very much in Vanessa mode. I'm excited. Thank you. So we'd like to start this podcast by going way, way back to the beginning of your career journey. I am curious. What was your very first job ever?
1: Very first job. Um, I worked. I started work when I was 11. Um, yeah. Back in the day in the UK, when you could do that. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't think it was a bad thing. I worked in in a pie and mash shop. So you're probably thinking, what on what that like just pie and potato mash is quite a London tradition. It's like a very Cockney uh, tradition, pie mash, you know, it's very much the floors is full of sawdust and you have this horrible kind of liquid like sauce on the pie mash called liquor. You could need to go and look it up. It's bright green. But um, I went to work there at the age of 11. I used to wash up plates and I used to do two shifts a week. And then I used to give my mum the money that I earned because there was just no sob story, but there was just me and her. So like any kind of income was good. So a very strong work ethic from a very young age.
0: I come from a similar family. Work ethic was like priority, like value number one, contributing. I didn't have my first formal job until I was 16, but I definitely started the babysitting gig Right around that same age, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what took you from pie and mash to your very first job, I think, was actually in the financial services, right? Can you yeah. describe to me? Because you left school when you were 16, so you started yeah. full time very early. What was your very first job in the financial sector? Because you ended up staying in that industry for quite a while.
1: I did. So I always had this big dream to go and work in the city in a bank because I knew that they made money there right and I watched the film uh, Wall Street the original one not the one that was out a couple of years back and and I watched that and and it was the observation that where was the women in there and financial markets capital markets and from where I lived in the east end of London out of my out of my bedroom window we used to live in a really high rise block like lots of kind of like social housing and I could see into the city so I could see kind of one tall building it isn't like the skyline that we have i mean we're no new york right but <laughs> big buildings are popping up at the moment left right and center but there was one kind of tall building and that was the bank that was nat west where i and i kind of set my sights on that i was going to work in that district i was going to earn loads of money and i was going to buy a house for me and my mom and you know kind of big dreams but not necessarily the academic background to back it up because although you know i had a good work ethic in school, I didn't kind of get my head down as much as I should have. There were other things going on in my world. And and it was a conversation with careers teacher that was like, you know, unless you, unless you do all these big dreams that you've got, you need yeah. an education for that. And it wasn't that I wasn't bright. I just wasn't applying myself. So... So I got on the bus at 16 and I went out to the city and I applied for every single job. And back then you'd go into the branch and you'd get an application form and you would fill it out by hand and you would kind of give it back. And it was always no. And, and it was no for me for a number of reasons. I think that academic background definitely played its part. Mm-hmm. I think there was conscious bias. And I say that on purpose around my postcode where I lived. And then even if I did get an interview, I had this very kind of wide Cockney accent. And again, for those from globally, you'll have to look up Cockney. It's a different kind of dialect, more like a slang. Um, so it's not that I spoke in riddles, but they were like certain words that perhaps I didn't pronounce the right way. So I suppose there was there was a perception of who I was and what I would achieve based on my social background. So, but oh. eventually, one bank gave me a job, and it was the very bank that I could see from my bedroom window. No. So, I worked at Northwest, Yeah, but huh. I got fired six months later. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so I learned my I learned a very very valuable lesson about resilience because sometimes things don't go your way, and yeah. situations will arise and people will press your buttons. And that happened throughout my corporate career. Boy, did my buttons get pressed. But it's how you deal with that. So tact and diplomacy weren't really my thing back in those days where I grew up. If someone badly behaves, you call it out, regardless okay. of who they are. But that doesn't necessarily work in the world of work. I mean, I learned to be more tactful, and diplomatic and more political with how I got my point across. But at those days, I wasn't. So, you know, in a way, I kind of paid up to the stereotypes. That they thought that I was, and it it was a good lesson for me to learn. Even though I thought my world was over, that you know sometimes I'm just going to have to take a brief, just breathe and think about my response rather than that got me fired. (laughs) That's incredible.
0: Well, I just love that story. One, it's it seems like this beautiful Cinderella moment, right? Your your dream come true. It's the building you could see from your window, and then nope, (laughs) not the
1: Cinderella. I think think that's really important point because. You know, sometimes you have these amazing highs. It's like being an entrepreneur, right? And you have these amazing highs where things are really right, and then you're straight back down to earth. Forget get my words out. Earth again, and then you have to find that resilience to pull yourself up. I mean, at that particular point, I didn't think anyone would ever employ me again, that I would ever get a job, you know, in a bank, that I would ever kind of achieve the things I went on to achieve. But again, I put that down to that resilience, that passion, and you know, a little bit of self belief, but. At that particular point, I have nothing to lose. Why couldn't I believe yeah. in myself?
0: I anyway. love that uh how you repurposed your skills because you were obviously tenacious, you were uh had to be confident, had to believe in yourself before anyone else did. How did you pivot out of getting fired from your dream job at <laughs> 16
1: into what came next? What what was that? I went into technology because one of the skills that I did have when I left school, it was 1988, I'm showing my age now, but we got computers in right at the last year. So I knew how to switch one on, which half of the people in the city were still on pen and paper. So I went to work for, I managed to get another job working for a tech company that was shipping out PCs into the city. You had people in the city saying, I'm not using that. It's gonna take my job. You know, what is that computer thing? People I had no clue how to use them. So that was a skill that I had. So I went to work for this tech company. They were not only shipping these PCs out, but they were teaching people how to use them. And these were like DOS-based products, right? So keyboard commands, no mouse or anything like that at that particular point. So I'd found it a kind of niche, something I was good at. And although I was a receptionist at that job, I made friends with a training manager, you know, building a network. And because I used to offer to help her when I had kind of spare capacity, she gave me a job in in her team and and I watched her and I shadowed her for two years, watching how she operated, watching how she dealt with conflict and felt confident enough after two years to go and get the same job elsewhere. And that's where my kind of career started in technology and what went on to be, what, 20, I think, 28 different roles um, in tech across nine different banks. So, yeah, a lot of punching above my weight. I would say that I was very brave. When I was younger, I was like, you know, like they say, like women look at job specs, and if it's only sixty percent, they they kind of rule themselves out. I was the opposite to that. I look <laughs> at job spec and go, I can do twenty percent of that. I'm going to go for it anyway. And sometimes it worked, you know, and other times it, you know, it didn't work or it involved me doing a lot of prep of an evening, like reading books and and stuff like that to get myself up to speed. But yeah, confidence was never an issue when I was mm-hmm.
0: younger. I. Okay. I was not as confident as 16, but a lot of that I still relate to. My very first job at 16 was working as, I think my official title was like office manager or something. At a startup, five total people. I had no idea how to do any aspect of my job, which turned out to be a blessing rather than a curse because I couldn't hide behind whatever yeah, semblance of a skill was- that I had. You had to be brave and you had to be unafraid of showing people you had no idea what you're doing and asking questions. I love that you were so focused in the early years on watching, observing, asking the right questions, trying things out, and then being brave enough to create opportunities for yourself. And I really love in that story, you're, you're really highlighting the fact that you could use your youth, which may have been seen originally as a detriment, as a as a strength, as a reason why they needed to hire you, because you were tech-savvier than the average user at the moment. So I really love that. And then you went
1: out to, how many roles did you say, 26 roles? 28, 28, I think. I mean, I've done everything from being, you know, a technology trainer. I've been a programmer. I've worked in the project management office, been a project manager, project director. I've headed up service delivery, procurement. I mean, the list kind of goes on. And I think as I worked for a number of incredible individuals in those banks, two in particular that spring to mind, that knew I was a troubleshooter, they could drop me into kind of any role and it goes back to that fighting spirit, right, where I would find my way, even if it wasn't necessarily my skill set, using relationships and the power to influence people, you know, and, and find out where their pain points were and trying to solve their problems. So two of my bosses very much used to just drop me into things. I mean, I remember the service delivery one, me saying to my boss, I know nothing about service delivery. And he's like, isn't it what your husband does? Can't you talk about it every dinner? And I was like, for real? know, no. Part. Um, but yeah, he dropped me into that. It was one of the departments and I kind of run that and service desk. I run a service desk at one point. So yeah, crazy times, but I was always up for that challenge and that stretch. I think it was that can do attitude and especially in 2008 when all the markets fell and lots of people lost their jobs there were very few people there so whatever you wanted to do and what needed doing you put your hand up the fact you had a pulse meant you were qualified for the job whereas before I would have to try and convince someone to give me the opportunity to run that department or perhaps move over and do something in the front office I was breathing that was qualification so I was like yep let her do it (laughs) if she could do anything if she could fix it you know even just hold it you know in a kind of holding pattern till things return to normal but I was lucky to have those opportunities and I was scared but I did it anyway
0: we need to W the official avatar of bet on yourself. You embody everything that we celebrate on this podcast, which is just creating opportunities, even when they appear limited, punching above your weight, being brave enough to raise your hand and, and give something a try. Because what's the worst that could happen? You've learned really fast. Yeah. Um, pick yourself up again. I'm curious. So, you and I both have worked in traditionally male dominated environments, both banking and tech, very male dominated. I'm curious, since you were so brave, people ask me all the time, how was I bold enough to not be intimidated by working for Jeff Bezos directly out of university or working in the startup environment when I was 16? And honestly, my answer is like, I was just so naive. I couldn't fully appreciate how underqualified I was to be there. What was it like for you in these male-dominated industries? And did that propel you in being braver? Or did that ever even cross your radar of something that could hold you back?
1: You know, I think at first it didn't. I mean, long before I worked in gender, I think when I first started off, I never let my gender be a barrier. Even when I was in like tech support roles very early on in my career, the whole floor was was guys. Yeah. You know, and we were fixing kit and stuff like that. I remember doing a load of patching for year two thousand. You know, when the computer, the world was going to blow up because of you know the computer day. Yeah. And the whole floor was guys, and we d- was doing weekends and weekends of overtime. But I never saw it as as something that I couldn't do. Um, Eve, I only really noticed the difference when I got into more senior positions Mm -hmm. and I had kids. And my challenges were different to those guys in the room. You know, they all had people at home supporting them I had a husband that had a career too so that's when I kind of found that the world was a little bit different and perhaps I had to play the game a little bit different as well and just make it abundantly clear that just because maybe I've got to leave at five because I've got to get home to do something doesn't mean I'm not part of the team yes. and calling out things like when conference calls were arranged during my kids drop off time you know if I was doing that so element of bravery there but that's when I really noticed it but I never wanted my gender to be a barrier um in, in in any sense and I'd say that to anyone don't you know sometimes it's really easy for us to put obstacles in our own way because of our fear you know and say well I'm never going to be that because there's no one up there that is me or looks like me or you know or anything like that so I think it was kind of having that conversation early on with myself and then when I face more senior positions and I'm thinking oh my god I'm gonna be the only woman in the room I actually use that to my advantage I strut in that room you yeah. know and and kind of own it even like virtually recently on my podcast sometimes I'm in a sea of white rooms office corporate space people in their bedrooms trying to make them look as office as possible I rock up with bright pink wallpaper you know it's it's kind of who I am you know
0: I love (laughs) love the strut like I people ask me all the time you know how did I get my own seat at the table and honestly I think it surprises people it surprised me there's never a vacancy you do have to just dramatically not only bring in your own chair, but often build it, build your own chair and drag it up to that table and sit there. And um, for those of you who are listening, you can't see this very celebratory floral wallpaper, but it is full. It is bright and beautiful and bold, just like you are. I think it's a perfect, perfect encapsulation of what your workspace would look like. I love it.
1: Um, and Anne, on that point about getting a seat at the table, yeah. I remember, I mean, I worked for a lot of kind of senior guys and built up a trust with them that I could finish their sentences I was always thinking what would keep them up at night you know what could I bring what value could I bring to the table every single morning Was saying right you've got that coming your way I thought about this should I go and get someone working on that thinking like them yes. all the time and I think that kind of not only added a lot of value but like when sometimes when the boss went was out somewhere else I was called to split I got a seat at the table because I'd go in there and I'd represent him so I was sitting there even though I wasn't necessarily part of that senior senior leadership team he trusted me to go in and be him you know and I built a network up that way and people started to hear because not only would I present what he was thinking because I've spoken to him And I'd say I've just had a couple of thoughts on top of that. This is my moment. Right. So, you know, I'm going to put in the fact that I think, too, I don't just support. So just little things like that, that you can earn your seat at the table. And again, it's about being a little bit bold.
0: You this is so crazy for me to hear, because I feel like you are my doppelganger on the other (laughs) side of the world. I did the same thing. Those exact same best practices work for me, especially early in my career. When I was trying to level up, move from a very junior reactionary role, I did the same. You mentioned giving yourself homework, right? Like you did all the research, you up-leveled your skills. Okay, well, I didn't learn this in school, neither did I, because uh, I ended up in tech very accidentally, but like just earn your keep there. And then the fact that you could then teach yourself to be not only reactionary, but proactive and anticipate needs before it was even articulated to you or before senior management had even um, anticipated that. That's how you get to be seen as a thought leader, and that's how you level up. I'm curious, as, as they started to recognize this ability in you and your curiosity and your smarts and your instincts, was there, I get asked all the time if someone mentored me, and I, my answer is no. Like I absolutely was a student. I studied people. I absorbed all their best practices and made them my own. What was your experience like as you were, because you mentioned this is a challenging stage of the career when you try and get into the more senior level management. What was that like for you to break through to that next level? What Did you have a sponsor? Did you just drag your chair
1: up to that table and create that opportunity for yourself? Was it a combo? How did it happen? I think when I think back, I mean, Perhaps things would have worked out even better had I caught on to the benefit of sponsor, of mentorship, you know, and actually asked people for help. I fell into this trap of thinking, you know, I'm lucky I've got this this job title, this big job title, or I'm, I'm in charge of that, or I'm doing that. And that means I can't ask for help because they've given me the job, right? So I should have all the knowledge in my head. And I think that was a mistake on my part, because there are many situations, especially technically, where I had to make decisions and someone far more technical would come and present to me. And I felt I needed to have all the answers when actually I should have challenged more a little bit, you know, in terms of my own kind of learning. So I come on that far too late in terms of the mentoring. I did have a sponsorship. I know now that's what it is and that's how I label it but at the time i didn't realize so there was a number of great guys that i worked for that took a chance on me you know they gave me opportunities you know dropped me into departments to run and firefight i remember going into one to one of my bosses and i wanted there was something that i wanted to do and you know i kept asking him you know can i go manage that project and literally i mean i drove him mad for months like, even to the point I'd take him a cup of coffee in the morning and go, I project managed the making of that coffee. And he's like, for real? Let it go. <laughs> You know, and I was like, you know, it was like subliminal advertising in his office. I love so it. I am do to do this piece of work. But he did. I think more to shut me up than anything. But I did, and I, and, you know, and I did particularly well at it. But again, that was the kind of tenacity. But after proving that, he opened up loads of doors to me. He had my back. You know, he put my name forward for opportunities when I weren't in the room because he trusted me and he put his integrity on the line that I would yeah. deliver and I felt you know obligated to him that I, every time I went and done something for him I wanted to do it not just to my best of my ability but to the best best of my ability because I didn't want to let him down so there are a number of sponsors out there you know willing me to win if you like and and I think what's really important about that is how you pay that forward so even in my own career always looking for opportunities. I mean, as you know, I run awards. I've got about a thousand ladies that have won my awards on We Are The City and We Are Tech Women. And I'm constantly looking for opportunities for them, for them to tell their story, to propel them forward because I'm in rooms they're not. So that sponsorship is really, really important. And mentorship, absolutely. Advocate for mentors, multiple mentors, different different people, different walks of life, different generations, you know, different cultures. Like get different perspectives and don't be frightened to ask for help.
0: Hi there! I just wanted to take a quick break from this fascinating conversation to invite you to buy my book, Bet On Yourself. It's available wherever you like to buy books. In Bet On Yourself, I'll take you on a deep dive into the best practices I collected by watching the exceptional careers of my CEO mentors, including Jeff Bezos, Marissa Meyer, and Eric Schmidt. I also share stories of what it was like to work at Amazon and Google during the foundational years of those companies and the internet. I use my own career as a case study for how to translate the habits of these super performers into any career at any stage and within any industry. I also attempt to answer the question of why all three of these celebrity CEOs chose to partner with me in order to fulfill their most ambitious goals, and how I am now going to do the same for you. While these stories are fun and fascinating, what I hope for most is that you will walk away not only inspired, but with a playbook for how you can take action, recover from setbacks, and create your own wild adventures and joy-filled success stories, and a work-life centered around your personal mission and values. Okay, let's get back to the podcast interview and more examples of how taking even seemingly small bets on yourself can lead to extraordinary results. This is a perfect segue into what i really want to celebrate which is uh you founded we are the city in 2008 mm-hmm. you now have over hundred and twenty thousand members if my research is right
1: yeah um, it, uh, with tech women i think it works out about 170 000 now wow. the communities together yeah can you get out a party with them all <laughs> 170,000
0: women strong this is a really yeah. incredible community built. Could you please, for those who aren't familiar with it, can you walk us through why you founded We Are The City? I didn't realize it was in 2008, so I'm curious if it was related to the economic crisis oh, wow. of that year. And then uh, what was the founding principle and what are you uh, growing it into now? Because I could not even begin to summarize even just the tips of the iceberg of all the all the efforts that you've got going on, but um, could you introduce us hours. to it? Okay.
1: so... I mean, it was started because I was just frustrated at the lack of women around my leadership table. And I'd got in there, i say, through pure cheekiness and and hard work along the way. But I thought, how do I carve out the opportunity for other women? And there was a few women's networks around at the time, but they were very entrepreneurial. They were very much you needed to be recommended by someone else. And I found it very bureaucratic. Whereas I wanted to create something that just gave women the resources they need to drive their own careers forward. Because that's not down to our bosses or the people that we work for. That's within our gift to do that. So I created a website. I was running to my husband, where's my website for me? Working woman in the city. And again, I'm good at nagging. So (laughs) he knows how to build a website. So he built me one, again, more to keep me quiet. And to be honest with you, it was a sparse website, right? Gender was on no one's agenda diversity wasn't even a term. So just putting things what were going on for women, I mean, it was something I updated every kind of week, two weeks. Um, and then obviously, as, as the world kind of moved on and diversity comes to the foreframe, you know, gender from a UK perspective, we need more women on boards, which came around 2010 with the Lord Davis report, you know, other things where companies started to look at their, their composite, their makeup of their boards and say, hold on, we're all men, we all look the same, we all studied in the same place. Yeah. And where's the diversity of thought? We was positioned in the right place at the right time. But we had a very non bureaucratic way of letting people join, you just join up. We're not gonna do anything with your data. You just tell us about who you are and we're just gonna pop your newsletter of events, women's networks, inspirational women that, you know, that we found men who are advocating gender balance, you know, perhaps what the government was doing. So all these different things and also how they could give back because we're giving you all this information for free so that's great but you need to pay that forward so how can you volunteer in schools share your story so it started off like that and I remember the first after about a month we checked how many people had joined and 10 people had joined. And we were like oh my god this is incredible we're going to solve one piece and we popped a bottle of champagne and then when we looked at who they were it was like my mum Stu's dad <laughs> my cousin you know and it was like oh dear and I remember Meeting a lady who I know really well now, she's like, this will never be a business when I say, How will you monetize it? And I'm like, it's not about monetizing. I would, I want to build a community first, a community yeah. that trusts me, uh, a community that, you know, that is where responsive to their needs. I want to watch them thrive, and that will come later, which is exactly what happened. So we I ran Wheel the City off the side of my desk for seven years. I then fell out of love, um, not with banking, but I felt like I'd served my time. Right. and then I wanted to go on something that gave me a lot more purpose so I left I had no commercial products whatsoever I sat in my conservatory thinking oh my god what have I done <laughs> everything I wanted to be as the 16 year old girl I'd kind of work in my way out to get that and I've quit just before the summit of, of the mountain but to do something that I'm really passionate about so over the years we've built out awards conferences you know we've built up a client list of the you know, to, to die for a client list in terms of like, there's 175 different corporates that we help to retain, attract, develop their female talent. And then five years ago, I built the same thing for We Are Tech Women. So we do exactly the same stuff on the tech side, but it's free for anyone to join, you know? And if there are companies out there that want to get behind us and sponsor our work, we do, do amazing stuff. Um, then obviously, you know, we're, we're more than happy to work with them, but that's basically what funds the business. Sponsorship goes in and then we do great stuff in it.
0: I love that. One of the things that kept me in tech for so long, and I was at Google for 12 years. Oh was like, uh, I mean, it's just that makes me 1000 years old in, in tech years. <laughs> but uh, one of the reasons I stayed for so long was because I felt very uh, vision and mission aligned with what they were trying to do. And we, um, our co-founders at Google would say all the time, we just need to make useful things. And we can figure out how to monetize it later. They knew that make creating a useful resource that people were engaging with, the, the monetization would take care of itself. And I just love that you trusted that you were making something that would be of high value to people and you figure that out later. It is a bold choice. It's a, it's a big risk to, to jump out like and that. that. But how you would
1: do you take that risk when, you're, when you've got a corporate job still, when it's a side hustle of sorts? Yes. You can't afford to take that. I mean, I honestly thought deep down in my heart, if I admit it, I would never leave corporate, I would be a corporate girl till I picked up my pension. And you do get caught in that safety net of what you get paid and the perks that goes with it. And the kudos that comes with having that corporate job and the doors yeah. that are open for you. When you become kind of an entrepreneur, you got to work for that again. You know, you've got to work for those doors to open, you can rely on some of your relationships from the past, but they might not be the buyer to what you're selling. Yeah. So it's, you know, you have to more or less start again. But I love the thrill of the chase. So, and it's been a hard chase, but, you know, it's equally exciting. I feel like I've got to start my career again. Kind of yeah. 20 years ago. This is why
0: you're my kind of girl. Like
1: I, <laughs> I still relate to all I'm of either. it. <laughs>
0: I, um, just a few days ago was actually the three-year anniversary of my last day at Google. And that same day is the one-year anniversary of the day I hired my first employee for my company, for my startup. And so I've been very recently just um, kind of reliving some of those moments and like, gosh, how was I brave enough? And uh, same thing. I published my newsletter and there's like two followers, not even my mom yet, you know, (laughs) for a long time or like or my podcast or all these content, you know. And what I'm realizing now is some of my friends back home who because I live in Spain now and most of them are still in the States. It seems like I'm suddenly an overnight success, and really, I've just been hustling in like a vacuum for a really long time when no one was watching. (laughs) And now suddenly, it's kind of starting. A few things are clicking and coming into place. I think that really that is what an entrepreneur is. It's um it's terrifying and and thrilling at the same time.
1: One hundred percent. We've had that. I said earlier on. It's the same. You have ultra high moments you know when a client comes back and they want to buy into what you do and they're really passionate and then you have those moments where you think yeah. you, you know it's a shoe in to get to work with a particular company you've worked with them for years and then the person that you deal with has moved job and you've got to start again and it's like right. oh my god that's going to affect my forecast I thought that one was a done deal you know yes. so you have so many things I mean we when are we first started you know, there was a time when we couldn't even afford a pint of milk. I mean, my husband ran me out and he went, "Tell me why the card's bouncing," and I was like, "Oh, you know that big job that I left." <laughs> we <got the> money. <laughs> no, but give me time just give me a little bit of time I mean I was lucky I had my speaking work to kind of fall back on um and doing lots of kind of corporate jobs and, th- and that was amazing that my contacts kind of came out the woodwork and said come and tell your story about leaving corporate you know making your profile and stuff like that so I was always lucky I kind of had that to put food on the table but it was yeah it was a struggle and I did question a number of times even one of my mentors because I did have a mentor there I remember updating my LinkedIn profile and it was half corporate and half entrepreneur and she's she doesn't pull any punches this particular lady and she ran me up she went are you in or are you out And yeah. I went, what do you mean by that she's like if you're in i.e., you're an entrepreneur and you're going to go for it you need to get rid of the program that you delivered that saved the company x amount of million off your LinkedIn profile it's old news it's yesterday's chip paper get rid of it and literally you know for every line I took off my LinkedIn profile at that time I almost cried because I remembered <laughs> the sweat and tears that went into that program or that thing and I was just it was just a deletion on on a screen oh I know months and months of my life and and starting this new journey as an entrepreneur what did I even have to say for myself you know I've, I've left corporate to give this a go but uh-huh. now I see what she meant, you know, because yeah. I was just sitting there going, if this doesn't work out, I can skip back to a corporate job. I mean, after seven years I've been gone too long. I don't think they want me now anyway. I'm too oh late my gosh. That yeah. is
0: so true. I, I was just reading this new book this weekend um, and there's a quote in that that I just it burned into my eyes because it's so true. It says, um scarcity breeds innovation i just
1: think that is what it is to be an entrepreneur i might put that up as you know a sign in my she shed which is what i call my office um but it's true because when when you need to put food on the table when you have to think it's a different level of thinking how do i survive how do i be different you know and and i think that's when you come up with your best ideas sometimes when you know you really have to you have no choice
0: no choice but to make it work I think that was, that was absolutely true for me. It was terrifying for me to leave Google, which not only was my safety net in my home for so long, but it was like my family, my entire social network, like yeah. all my eggs were in that one basket. And to let that go was really hard. I definitely had like an identity crisis. I never, you know, all the things, the traditional like um, midlife yeah. crisis happened for me all at once, but it is by far the best thing I've ever done because you have no choice, but to be brave. You just have to make it work. And as you were saying, um, it's amazing how these relationships really step up when they see you being brave. Mm-hmm. I have been so touched by time and time and time again, people from my past who I did favors for, or worked really hard for, who I thought I had been invisible in front of, raised their hand and be like, yeah, I see you doing this. I think I could be helpful. Let me do an intro or something, just yeah. proactively coming to me. Yeah. Um, it's so humbling and it makes some of that seemingly thankless work from my past those those hustle days feel a little bit more vivid.
1: I think there's always that element that people watch you for a year and say is she serious mm. is she coming back in yeah or you know go, you know brave it and I think once you've been around for a little while those people do come out of the woodwork and invariably you find the people that help you the most are people that you don't really even know you so know? true I have loads of people on LinkedIn. I've never even met them, but they're like, let me introduce you to this person, or you need to meet that person. I'm like, oh my God, I owe these people nothing. You know, I mean, obviously that, you know, I always want to return the favors and I'm always kind of looking proactively for that, but it really, it's really touching. And I think that's something we should all take away. We all have that ability to do something for someone else without being asked. You know? Isn't that incredible?
0: I find in these crises and these really big life moments where your back is up against a wall I'm consistently as surprised that the people I'm closest to aren't necessarily the ones who are there in that make or break moment. It is these people who are just in the wings and, and, and raise their hand. And I always set a goal for myself to continue to pay it forward. Whether I can you know, repay that person, I want to adopt that mentality, proactively paying it forward as big as I can. People who have been written endorsements for my book or, or done all the things they didn't need to do, that is my promise to them because there are often people where I mean they're wealthier and fancier than I am Uh, so I'm like I don't know if I can repay you but I promise you I will pay this forward
1: you don't Uh, necessarily have to repay them you can repay that in another way yeah help give to a youngster you know the job you create for somebody else you know there are many different ways that we pay it forward to those who are richer and fancier than we are (laughs) (laughs)
0: I've spent my entire life surrounded by richier, people who are richer and fancier than I am, so that's my that's my comfort zone. Um, but I love it. And I, speaking of paying it forward, I just want to thank you personally for um, something you posted on We Are The City recently, which was um, supporting women and girls during this crisis in Afghanistan. Yeah. I really got paralyzed watching what was happening. I feel some responsibility as an American. I watch in horror what is happening, and this progress that we thought we were making over the last 20 years disappearing overnight really like shook me. And I, I kind of disappeared from social media because me promoting, even though it's it's something that I think is empowering women, like my book and my message and, and what I'm trying to do with my work, I just felt like that was so frivolous and I didn't know how to, yeah. you know, uh, what to do. But you posted some uh, article that was so helpful to me of knowing like, Here's the four resources that deserve your donations. Here's what's happening here. Here's who to follow. Here are the thought leaders. Here's the, you know, for people in the UK, here's lawmakers who can make a difference in, in policies and people. So I just want to thank you for not only supporting individual career development that has inspired me in my entrepreneurial journey, but also in these bigger causes that unite us all, especially uh, around women and girls right now, so that is just one example of many, many things you've done. But I want to tell you what made a huge difference for me in this moment of
1: paralysis of feeling like, what can I do in this part? I think we all felt like that. I mean, that's I mean, we've got a platform. We did exactly the same with Black Lives Matter. You know, we together an article around where people could donate, what what people could do, how you could, they could educate themselves. You know, so there was so whenever there's something big world events and and things you know and all the injustices that go with them, we'll always push out resources that's what we're about you know because people are sitting there going how do i help you know i want to i think it was everyone's natural thing you know we can't let this go backwards and it will and it won't just be 20 years it will be it will go on from that we don't even know where that situation is going to end so you know i think the world economic forum is something like 100 years plus gender equality and I look at that and I think that's not even in my kids kids lifetimes maybe you know so that I think we all have a part to play there but kudos to you and it must be really difficult again I remember last year when we had the pandemic and all of our awards winners we tell them to you know blow their own trumpet on social media that they've won our awards because they're hard to get through um and they were saying that they just didn't feel the time was right to go and blow their own trumpet when people were dying you know of covid and stuff and I totally got it and I'm like right now we're coming out the back of it we need to revisit some of that stuff you know um but it is awkward sometimes you know when you feel like that Mm self-promotion the the things are going on in the world that are more important but you know now we need to bet on yourself and we need to get the book out there (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's time well I, I think the awards that you do is such a beautiful example of you paying it forward because you are quite decorated yourself you over have over 22 awards for your work in finance gender quality, entrepreneurship charity in 2018 you were awarded an OBE for your services to women in the economy which is
1: huge oh, the the Buckingham Palace
0: for that one it was yeah it was <laughs> amazing. crazy can you please a moment of self-indulgence at least for me what is that moment like um, so for our non-UK listeners, can you explain this award? Please brag a little bit and it's and a right, very big deal. And then describe to me what it is like to go to Buckingham Palace and be awarded this uh, incredible honor for your major contribution to society.
1: So the, basically every year the Queen awards certain honours, so she recognises people in the community that have done amazing things, generally with, with MBEs, she recognises people with OBEs, which is Order of the British Empire, and then you have Member of the British Empire that have done like community stuff that's slightly on a maybe a bit bigger scale and, and to do with business, and then you have the big ones like CBEs. Um, they tend to be like CEOs of companies and people like that. And then you, the damehoods and the knighthoods, you know, the people that you see, like the famous people, and people that have really rocked the world. Um, I'm not old enough to be a dame, I don't think yet. Maybe one day, yeah. <laughs> I can't dame. Um, but I got my, so basically a, a, a friend of mine had written to the cabinet office, which is in the UK, and there's a nominations process. And she'd got about 20 people to write letters about work that I'd done. And I think from what I hear now, because I only know this story afterwards, it was in there for about four years, but eventually my name came up and I got that letter and I actually thought it's because I'd written a nomination for someone else's MBE. So when I got the brown letter from the cabinet office, I thought, oh, that's a receipt for the nomination that I've done. And my post was redirected at the time to my mum because I was moving house. And I said, "Open it anyway." Anyway, she opened it. She went, oh, "I don't believe it, Vanessa." She was so excited. I nearly crashed the car. And, <laughs> and you're sworn to secrecy for about six weeks. You can't say anything until the official list comes out, yeah. which was really hard. And I think I was in Spain at the time when it came out. And then just, just I mean, just the amount of outpouring of love and support. And then about. Five months later, I got to go to Buckingham Palace, which was a big thing. You know, I grew up in, in, a, in, a, stay, in a very socially economically challenged area, you know, social housing, council housing, not much money. And here's me and my mum and my dad getting to, and my husband and my kids, because they let them come too, going to Buckingham Palace to meet Prince Charles and, and have that moment. It was super special. But again, it comes with that additional knowledge that you've now got this platform to do more. That is an honor in itself that again you need to pay forward so it was magical you know special dress big hat yeah yeah absolutely memorable you know I'll never forget that day driving through the palace and I was trying to get my kids to wait because you know all the tourists (laughs) looking at you thinking you're famous they were were, like hiding down the bottom of the car and I'm saying oh mom I can't believe it you're acting like royalty but yeah very very special moment
0: what I love about that I just had a friend uh, award an OBE, she's about to go to Buckingham House and receive hers. So I heard from her this incredible process and what I find so remarkable, I mean, many things are remarkable about this, is that how many people have nominated and supported without you even knowing it? Yeah. That this is just really by, not only by measurable impact in the community, but so many people have to proactively recommend you, put their necks on like go go to all this formal effort And then for you to be recognized, I think it's fascinating to know that yours was a four-year process. I wonder what my friends was. But I just think that is such a beautiful culmination and marker for this incredible impact that you've had in the community and not just in the UK, but globally. I just think that is stunning and well-deserved. I could talk to you forever. I wanna be respectful of your time. I'm curious, um, I wanna end our conversation looking towards the future. We're the city is huge your impact is enormous what are you excited about offering building working on especially now as we're sort of in a post-pandemic window of time and making a
1: lot of pickup. i think for now i think next year is about stabilizing you know it would be really easy to go out guns are blazing we're going to do this we're going to do that we've been through a, a serious amount of change in the last two years people need to adapt back to that and I want to give them time so even for us you know doing our awards and our conferences we'll still be virtual I love the global audience that we've picked up and just slowly slowly building it up and you know until everyone's kind of comfortable being in the same space so I will continue doing my talks I'm doing some work on tech Uh, with kids in schools to encourage them more into kind of your STEM careers so I'm just gonna say no massive big plans I need to write my next book and you're inspiring me to do that looking at yours in the back screen there I can see it Um, and I can't wait to read it as well but next book and things like that and then just seeing how life looks I mean see both of my kids are off to university I have an empty nest I have time with my husband um, and my dog so yeah, no big grand plans just yet. But then again, ask me New Year. That's always kind of when yes. I'm raring to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited
0: about it. I love your first book, um, Heels of Steels. right? Heels right. of Steel. Heels of Steel, uh, fantastic. I, I actually read that after our last chat when I was in Ibiza. I, I downloaded it right away. So Easy read. really <laughs> good. Cannot wait for um, the next one. So my last question um, before we summarize with how, the different ways that people can connect with you. My favorite last question is, what gives you hope for the future?
1: Um, I think what gives me hope for the future is, say, the change that we've been through with the pandemic. I think people's minds are open to different ways of working. I think there's a lot more Kind of awareness around people's mental health. I think we've had conversations that we would have otherwise left, you know, in the in the cupboard, perhaps. So that fills me with hope that we're enabled to talk more, that we're enabled to be more human, that we're enabled to work in a way that you know means that we have balance and some respect in our lives. So again, I see this as a big moment of change, and I just hope that we, as companies, as individuals, don't go back to how it used to be. Um, So that's what gives me hope. Period of change, and it's exciting.
0: Thank you. What gives me hope is uh, women like you and your voice being heard and amplified in this environment. That really gives me hope. This has been a thrilling conversation, and this is just the beginning. I think a lot of people are going to come follow you, what you're working on, what you're celebrating and awarding. What are the best ways for people to connect with you and your journey going forward?
1: So I'm on Twitter you can find me on Twitter Vanessa Valerie. I've just started to play around with Instagram so Vanessa Valerie OB on Instagram I'll be doing a series of weekly videos IG live which I've got Anne on my IG live which I'm really looking forward to and a webinar coming up um so you can find me on there find me on LinkedIn so generally on kind of social channels um, yeah look forward to connecting thank you so much
0: Vanessa Valerie. this has
1: been incredible <laughs> thank you so much for having me a pleasure